or in your Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to be reading from Luke 11, verses 1 and 2, and Luke 6, 20 to 26. Luke 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Luke 6. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did this to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their fathers did this to the false prophets. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning, and we need you this morning. Thank you for your word and the truth and the power that's in it. I pray that you would help us to listen to your truth this morning and let it affect our hearts and let us change the way that we live. Thank you for Brian. I pray that you bless him as he speaks and give us strength to listen and encourage one another based on uh, what we learned this morning. Jesus, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Enjoy the rain this morning under the tent. I think we'll stay dry for a while. We are, there we are. We're continuing our uh, series on prayer this morning. And um, each time we've spoken about prayer, we've just spent a couple of minutes talking about why is it hard to pray. And I think, um, I don't know about you, but just even uh, as Tony concluded worship, and uh, we're singing a song about just being in his presence and not being in a hurry. We said that one of the things that prevents us from praying is we are always in a hurry. That we are always want to go on to the next thing and, and, and our attention spans are, are short. We also talked about sometimes we can just be cynical about prayer. That maybe it just doesn't even really do anything. And this morning I want, to, I want us to think about the idea of that sometimes we don't pray because it's hard for us to depend on God. That within all of us is this desire to do life our own way. That we are very independent people. That, that we would prefer to just function um, and do life our own way. The book of Genesis, in, in, in chapter 3, we learn that all of us have a a human nature that would prefer to be the God of our own lives, that we would prefer to rule lives our own way. We don't, we don't verbally say such things because it's kind of embarrassing. We don't normally say things that reveal our independence or reveal our selfishness, but our behavior reveals it. I have a, a quick story I'll, I'll share with you that just, it, 
It happened a long time ago. It's one of those things that um, it just stuck in my mind that reveals um, that part of us that says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do life my way. And we all have that within us. And what happened was this is, and I was thinking about it this week, pretty sure this was 1989, and I was, uh, I think I was 19 years old, and I was living in the Northwest <clears throat> on the Olympic Peninsula, and it was this time in my life where I was very curious about surfing, and, and I just wanted to go explore the Olympic Peninsula, the Straits of Juan de Fuca, and, and find places to surf. And in 1989, there were very few people that were um, up there surfing. I definitely wasn't the first one, but there were just very few people and this one particular place that I wanted to go find, I'd heard a little bit about it. Um, uh, it's called the Elwa, and it's a river mouth on the Straits of Juan de Fuca. And, and I remember, this was back um, before the internet, when we had things called maps out of paper, and you could like mark on them, and like, okay, I've been down this road, and, and we had weather radios, and so you'd find things that way. And so part of the adventure, though, was going down a road and You'd find out this is not it and turn back and go down another road. And so finally, though, I, I made my way to, I found my way to the mouth of the Elwha River. And the Elwha River is part of um, the Elwha tribe. It's a, it's a tribe of Indians in the, in the Port Angeles area. And I remember I had my 1981 Mazda 626, the luxury edition, had a sunroof. It was very fun. <laughs> And I remember making my way out to the coast after finding all these different roads. I finally made it. And it was spectacular. It was beautiful. It, it, uh, the, the cobblestones and, and most of the time the surf would be about knee-high. You'd be very, very excited about knee-high surf. And I remember when I got there and I was looking at, at the ocean, uh, an elderly gentleman came up to me. I could see him walking. And he came up to me, and he was a local, local man. This was, this was his home. I was a visitor on, on their sovereign land, on their tribal land. And he was very, very polite, but very firm with me. And he said, you cannot be here. And I, my 19-year-old self thinking, wait a second, this is America. I can go wherever I want. There's that little independence, right? Nobody, nobody's going to tell me where I can go or I can't go. And I'm just thinking this. But he was very polite, and he told me, he explained to me what had happened, and he said a couple of weeks before, a couple of surfers from Seattle came, and they had their, their camper van, and they began to throw their trash out just on the beach, and a couple of the, the younger Indian men, younger than this guy, came out and, and talked to them and said, hey, you're, you're guests here. And you can't do that. And um, like, according to the old man, the, the two guys from Seattle just blew him off and said, like, we're going to do what he said. We're going to do whatever we want. Maybe not that verbatim quote, but what they were doing was, I'm going to do whatever I want. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And in 1989... Things are different now. But in 1989, these two guys went back to their house and got two rifles and said, you're going to clean it up now or we're going to shoot out your, your car tires. And I remember, gentlemen, this old guy telling me this story. And so he said, listen, 
Like you just, you can't be here because of what happened before. And I remember thinking about the attitude of nobody is going to tell me what to do. And that was the, the attitude that these two surfers from Seattle um, displayed on this local tribe, on this local property, on the reservation. And I think, I don't know if it was how that this old Indian told me the story that I was like, it just gripped me. And I, and I remember thinking, that is the infection within all of our hearts. That is what prevents us from praying often. That we're very independent people. That we don't want God telling us what to do. That we can be self-focused. And so as we look at this passage, I want to connect this to the passage. And here's what it says. The disciples are asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so the last two Sundays we looked at what the word father means. And we looked at last time we, we were together, we looked at the word, uh, hallowed be thy name. And this morning we're looking at just the three words, your kingdom come. And your kingdom come has to do with the rule and reign of Christ in your life. And it's going to create a collision course within all of us. Because within all of us, is the desire to do things our own way. And so part of our prayer life then is learning, learning to depend on God and thinking through what that means. And what happens to most of us, and this is part of probably the testimony of many of us, is we keep trying life our own way. And then it's just failure, suffering, failure, suffering, hardship. And finally like, okay, God, I've tried doing life my own way for a long time, I'm going to try life your way. Learning to depend on God for everything in your life, I believe, is the key to prayer. I came across, um, sorry, I'm on a little bit of a C.S. Lewis kick again, but this, he just writes some meaningful things, and I had them printed in the bulletin because he speaks so clearly and so well, and I want you to be able to refer to it again. So the first quote is... Uh, is on the title, the, the first page, and he talks about depending on God. Here's what he says. It is a dreadful truth. Having to depend solely on God, it is what we all dread most. See, he's more honest than most of us would want to say. But this is reality. This is what's true in our hearts for most of us often. It's true in my own heart. Of course, that just shows how very much, how almost exclusively we have been depending on things. But trouble goes so far back in our lives and is now so deeply ingrained, we will not turn to him. As long as he leaves us anything else to turn to. I suppose all one can say is that it was bound to come. In the hour of death and the day of judgment, what else shall we have? Perhaps when those moments come, they will feel happiest, those will feel happiest who have been forced, however unwittingly, to begin practicing it here on earth. It is good of him to force us, but dear me, how hard to feel that it is good at the time. 
So I would say this, that when we learn to pray, thy kingdom come, we are learning to depend on God. And uh, it is my, my hope, my prayer, my own life for all of us that we will learn that praying thy kingdom come will create a, a new set of priorities in our lives, that it will create a, a new beauty in our lives. But we have to learn this, and we have to practice this, and we have to repeat this. My last C.S. Lewis quote, follow along, and then we're going to jump into the passage and work our way through it. But he talks about this. When the disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray, he begins with the word Father. And we need to remind ourselves of the closeness of that and to strengthen our faith in the reality that God is our good father. And so the C.S. Lewis quote is related to viewing God as our father, that we are hallowing his name in our lives, and that we are learning to trust that, to trust that fully. So follow along. It's here printed for you to contemplate throughout the week. But he writes this about our faith in God, our Father. Now, faith in the sense in which I am using the word is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. For moods will change whatever your view, whatever view your reason takes. I know that by experience. Now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. He's writing with an honesty. Think through it and be honest with yourself. The rebellion of your moods against your real self is going to come anyway. That is why faith is such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist but just a creature dithering to and fro. And I just want to stop there for a second. We cannot be people who live our lives dithering to and fro. And we do. We often do. That the moods of our faith, the moods of our spirituality is anchored to our moods. And we can, waste, uh, we can waste the gift of life that God has given us just dithering about. He goes on and says this, which its, belief, which its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. Consequently, one must train the habit of faith. This is, we'll get to the connection of prayer. The first step is to recognize the fact that your moods change. The next is to make sure if you have once accepted Christianity, then some of its main doctrines shall be deliberately held before your mind for some time every day. That is why daily prayer and religious readings and church goings are necessary parts of the Christian life. That prayer is absolutely necessary part of your life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. This is so important here at the end. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. As a matter of fact, if you examine a hundred people who have lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. 
Do not most people simply drift away? And the sign of drifting away is a prayer life that has gone away. And I began to realize that this was happening in my life several weeks ago, that I'd rather be busy doing things, busy with work or just... And I, if I can just speak about men in particular, would rather be busy working or doing things than praying. And the problem with that is we drift away. And before you know it, your walk with the Lord has become stagnant and gone. So our prayer lives. Well, let's work through this. This will be, I hope it's interesting. It's been interesting to me. Jesus is teaching us to pray that your kingdom come, that God's kingdom would come. And that requires then a little bit of, of information about God's kingdom, that we know um, what that is about. So if you have your Bible, turn back. Let me just help us grow in this a little bit. Turn back a couple pages to Luke chapter 6, where we can understand how do we do this? What does it mean to pray God's kingdom come? What is kingdom? So here's what we'll do. What is kingdom praying? We live in a democracy today, so we don't think of kings and kingdoms. But one way to think about this maybe is that when a new CEO comes or a new football coach comes and he is going to create a new culture, a new environment, and he is going to create new values, new vision, new priorities for that team or for that business. And so what Jesus is saying when he's talking about his kingdom, he is saying this, that there is a kingdom that is coming that is under the rule and authority of God. And it's completely different. There is a realm, a way of doing life that is completely different. If you have a new coach or a new boss and they instill new values and new visions and new priorities, and it leads to fighting and, and bickering and things are getting accomplished, we would say that's a very bad coach. If the new coach comes in and installs uh, priorities where people get along and work together and things are accomplished, we would say that's a great coach. And so Jesus is teaching here that there is going to be a new way of life, a new set of priorities and Jesus does this often. He teaches through a way of contrast, all right? So here's how we'll do this. We'll just follow what Jesus does, and we'll begin with what the kingdom of God is not. So before we learn to pray, thy kingdom come, let's learn about what the kingdom is not. And so Jesus begins that in verse 24, and he says four things about what the kingdom of God is not. Number one is this. He says, woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. So you're like, wow, that's, that's kind of, um, I mean, if we just read that, we're like, this is like pretty negative, like bummer stuff that Jesus is saying here. So we have to like try to be thoughtful and, and figure out what this is about. So let's explain it this way. The word woe is occasionally used to be critical. 
of people. But often, and in this case, it's used in another way. It's used this way to do this. To express a sympathetic sorrow. So Jesus is saying a sympathetic sorrow if your life is prioritized around these things. Well, what are they? Here's, here's how we can interpret them. Number one is woe to the rich. Woe to, and we want to think of, of wealth as being equal to power. How sad for you if the priority of your life is acquiring money and power. Number two, woe to you who have material comforts. How sad for you if the priority of your life is material things. If all you care about is material comforts, how sad for you. Number three, woe to you who laugh now, and we could say that's success. How sad for you if all you care about is success. And this is an interesting word. He says, Jesus says this, woe to you who laugh now, And the word here means to mock or to gloat or to ridicule others or to feel superior to others. Now, again, we don't say that we don't say things like this, like I'm better than you. But those feelings can come. And Jesus says to you, what a sad life you have if it's a priority for you to feel more successful than others if you feel superior to others. The fourth thing he says is, has to do with recognition. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. How sad for you if your life is built around the need of recognition, that you need to be recognized for things. And so Jesus is contrasting. There is the way of the world that these things obviously are not inherently bad, But what Jesus is saying that these cannot be the priorities of my followers. That there's something better than that. That there's a contrast to how we want to live our lives. And so then Jesus is going to explain that. So that's what the kingdom is not. It's not made up of power and wealth and success and material comfort. That there's something else more meaningful. So what is the kingdom? Jesus says this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man, on the account of Jesus. And so again, these are even challenging things to think through. What is Jesus talking about here when he's talking about the priorities of the kingdom? So Jesus is saying, we're to pray thy kingdom come. And one of the ways that we understand this is to know that there is levels to this, that Jesus is speaking in a way that is not purely just one way meaning. And we could gain insight from that from the, the gospel of Matthew. And here's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit means that there is a humbleness. That if you want to live your life 
in the kingdom of God, the entrance into the kingdom is a humble spirit. Blessed are you who hunger now has to do with a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you who weep now has to do with seeing your own sin, your own flaws, and being broken over them. So Jesus is saying this, that spiritual poverty, having a hunger, having a weeping, being um, willing to be excluded for Jesus is a contrast with the, community, with the culture of the world today. That there's something that your life will be different. And so we learn this by taking this internally, spiritually in our lives, but then the evidence that this is true in our lives is that we care for people where this is literally true. That you have compassion for people. That the kingdom of God develops within us a compassion for others who are literally struggling with these things, who are literally poor. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, he's saying that there is a reversal in how you live, that there is a new set of priorities. When, when you study, and just a little bit this week, when you study spiritual awakenings in the Bible and you, and you look at from the Old Testament through the New Old Testament through the New Testament, one of the things that you observe when this, this prayer is made that God would become more real, that God's kingdom would be, be would be real in my life, is this. It's true in the history of Israel and it's true in our own lives that we go through times of our life where we are spiritually stagnant, where we can become um, indifferent and our desire and our passion to follow Christ goes away. And so this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done uh, in my life, it begins this way. By allowing the kingdom of God to go deep into your life. And so that is the question that we have to wrestle with this morning. When Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And part of that means thy kingdom come. And that beginning point of that is that God's kingdom would first and foremost go deep into your life. That it would create a spiritual awakening. That spiritual stagnation comes in our lives sometimes. And one of the evidence of that is, is that we pray less. And Jesus is teaching here that there can be a spiritual awakening in your life when you pray thy kingdom come. It's a kingdom prayer that awakens within you a love for Christ. When you study the book of Acts, one of the common themes of spiritual awakenings is prayer, is crying out to God, is having that desire for intimacy with God, of being in his presence, to enjoying his presence that comes through prayer. And so, as we think about this, and we think about our own li- your own lives and our church life and, and how we're growing, do we honestly want this prayer to be a part of our lives? Thy kingdom come. Because it might awaken spiritually stagnant people that have become indifferent to God's kingdom, that have become stagnant and just living life with the flow 
and our lives have become just like the world around us. Let me show you how this works itself out. And we can, you can evaluate your own life. Jesus is contrasting two worlds, the way of the world and his kingdom. And when Jesus continues his sermon, he, he gives us some ways we can evaluate our lives. And I'm not going to read it because they're larger chunks. But in a few verses after what we just read, Jesus talks about loving our enemies. And he says this, But I say to you, love your enemy and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Loving your enemies. Making the prayer, your kingdom come. That means you're loving people that are really hard for you. That are irritating for you. That don't, you don't naturally enjoy or get along with. It might awaken a new love in your life for people. An, another thing that Jesus talks about here about being critical of others. This is Luke chapter 6, just further on on his sermon, teaching about the kingdom. In verse 37, he talks about a critical and judgmental spirit. And at the bottom, he says this, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly the speck in your brother's eye. If you pray, thy kingdom come, the prayer then is this, that I will see my own sin before I see other people's sin. And that is completely radical and completely not normal. We all clearly see other people's mistakes before we see our own. We all have a natural tendency to be critical of others. Praying thy kingdom come creates a different kind of community. A kind of community where we say, I'm going to look at my own life before I start pointing fingers at other people's lives. Jesus concludes the sermon on the mount this way. He says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? In a sense, this is true in all of our lives. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, what we're asking our Father to help us do is that Jesus would be the Lord of every area of our lives. That our priorities would become his. That we open up our hearts and open up our lives to everything to him to his rulership, so that we would live lives of obedience to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praying the prayer, thy kingdom come, it's just a short little phrase, but it is loaded with massive amounts of transformation. And I, I want us to think just as a church community, how is our prayer life going? Are we people who are praying? Is being quiet and being still uncomfortable? Have you become preoccupied with busyness and distractions? Will you even consider praying? 
thy kingdom come? Will you consider what a life looks like that is fully surrendered to Jesus Christ? The reality is this, that the temptation is strong and real within all of us, that we want to do life our own way, and we want just a little sprinkling of Jesus, just a little bit, not too much, a little bit of Jesus occasionally to make me feel good inside. That is not praying thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come is a radical obedience to Jesus Christ in every area of your life. And that is the prayer that opens up your heart to full-hearted discipleship, to full-hearted obedience to Jesus. Jesus is better than any successful college football coach that's turned a program around. He's better than any CEO that turns a, a business into profit and, and a great place to work. And I believe that the ultimate truth of God's kingdom is this. It is a place where you will flourish, where your life will be good, where your life will be joyful, where your life will blossom, where good things will happen to you. It's, it's a kingdom designed for human flourishing, where your heart will be full. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to produce that joy, that commitment, that love for Jesus in our life that happens through his word. My, uh, my encouragement for us is just to nudge us forward to be people who pray more. I was reading John Calvin this week, just a little excerpt, and he came up with something where he, he developed a little, little routine in his life where he prayed five times a day, where he prayed when he woke up in the morning. The first thing he did is he just spent a little bit of time in prayer, and then when he got to his office to work, he prayed for the day. And then he prayed at lunch. And then before he left his office, he prayed. And then before he went to bed, he prayed. And he just developed this habit of, of praying regularly. Think about your relationships and, and what will happen to your relationships if you pray, thy kingdom come in my life, that that would go deep into my heart that I would fully submit to the, to the lordship of Jesus and what would happen to my heart being filled with his love and my relationships. It would turn into a, a beautiful life. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our hearts to having your kingdom come right here, right now, in everyone's heart, in everyone's marriage and friendships and relationships, in families, that there be a transformation that happens because of the beauty and the goodness of your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would soften our wills, soften our hearts as we conclude in worship to see the beauty and the goodness of who you are. We know that you are our good and loving Heavenly Father. Pray that we would have that faith grow deep and strong, that we'd be rooted and grounded in your love. We ask these things in your name. Amen.